Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves is Mr. Rob Hayes on episode 134. Hello Pete, how are you? We've had a lot of we've had a lot of football since the last episode in three different competitions. So plenty plenty to do. We have. We were just trying to work out who who we've played and what's what and what's happened and yeah, three different uh, three different competitions. If you can hear something in the background in for Fox Eight HQ One, I'm not entirely sure what it is. It sounds like some drilling next door, but uh, if you can hear that, then that's what it is. Never mind. Um, yeah, we have with some uh, w- w- with different fortunes, different results, um, a win, a loss, and a draw in the three games since we've done a podcast. And there's been plenty of kind of shenanigans surrounding the end of the transfer window, and then you have the likes of the cup games and uh, and also elsewhere, depending on what happens with other clubs and in terms of the Premier League and then in, in cup competitions as well. So there's quite a lot to get through, and that's before we've even started with the fancy football league, which we'll come on to towards the end, which I'll be delighted to. Anyway, um, so the games to talk about, Rob. Brentford away, 1-0. Iniacho FA Cup through to the fifth round. Uh, the Villa game, unfortunately, Villa Park uh, 2-1, losing out, no Wembley in the League Cup. And then the Chelsea game 2-2 in the Premier League. So contrasting games, contrasting fortunes. And I think if we just briefly look back to the game against Brentford, basically get through to the next round, that was all important. A team that we predicted would play pretty much did. A fairly strong side. Good early goal, played well for the first, say, 25 minutes, half an hour. And then it was quite even. Brentford came into it towards the end. Probably fairly unlucky at some points not to get a replay. But tough luck. They played a very weakened side because they had Forest in the week. And then they lost in that game. So two terrible results for Brentford. But they've turned that around by winning, what, 5-1 at the weekend. So all in all, the fact that we got through was just the main thing, really, isn't it? It was, and it was job done because we talked about it being a not even a potential banana skin, a very realistic possibility of us exiting the cup, knowing that we would field a weaker side. And I think a lot of people predicted that Brentford would as well. So that makes almost makes the game even more of an unknown, and I think that's kind of what it was. Early doors, our Leicester team looked like it had played together a little bit more uh, than the Brentford team did. The early goal helped to settle any potential nerves that would come from... Um, playing away at a high-flying championship team. Uh, And then it was just, like you say, it was a professional job. It was make sure that even if they came into it, which they did, that we just got through. And it's all you can really hope for in a cup game of that kind of ilk is to come through unscathed, minutes in the legs for some other players, still in the hat, really. Uh, And... Talking of the hat, we're recording this the day after Coventry bottled the penalty shootout in their extra after extra time of their replay against Birmingham. So Birmingham are the next opponents, and that is um, 
Another interesting one because some weeks they look decent, Birmingham, other weeks they look absolutely terrible. So it's another one that will just be grateful to negotiate, I think, is the is the way I'd approach that. And a fabulous opportunity to get through. Fifth round tie at home to Birmingham. It's going to be a midweek game around the 4th or so of March. It's pretty much going to be a full house because they're going to bring however many fans that they can bring. Six, 7,000, they'll be noisy. It's a big day out for them, but it's a fantastic draw for us. And I have multiple witnesses wanting... Uh, either Coventry or Birmingham at home, and and when it was uh, when it was drawn out of the hat, and I was I was slating Glenn Johnson, and all of a sudden, number seven Leicester City. It's oh Glenn, you're the you're a brilliant player, but you've always rated you. And then come on, come on Teddy, come on you, you know Spurs, Man U, come on you, you. And then he pulls out to you know Coventry on Birmingham. It's like Teddy Sheringham, national hero, world of mate. So I actually I got the full draw completely right, and it's what I wanted. I think it's what most people wanted. And because of then what happened against Villa, it takes on more importance now because it will be our chance of getting to Wembley and a really good chance of going far in a competition where you need to have the look of the draw. How many times have Manchester City, especially, say Chelsea as well, as well as winning the big games when they get to, say, semi-finals, but for the last number of years, they've had some really nice ties, either away from home or playing, say, championship sides at home. And there's no reason, and we'll do a podcast before the game against Birmingham, that Leicester can't go through. But uh, I feel that they'll have to play maybe slightly better because Birmingham, they're not going to be an easy team to beat. But I think with our quality, there's no no reason at all why we shouldn't be looking at one of the favourites really for the competition, depending on what happens elsewhere. Because if you look at the draw, I know Liverpool play weakened sides. They've got Chelsea. There's a few other decent sides with awkward games, say. So there's a really good chance in the FA Cup and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But, fingers crossed, everything goes well. And then the great downturn. Villa Park, I was there on the Tuesday and it was just so disappointing. The, the away fans were brilliant. The Leicester fans were fantastic in the wit and beforehand. Uh, plenty of songs, mostly about Europe, which was interesting. I uploaded one or two. Um Everyone wants to get to Wembley, of course, when you're in the semi-finals, but most of the chants were about going around Europe because that's that's what it's all about. It's all about the Champions League. Not saying it wasn't a massive disappointment. How we didn't score in the first few, say, 20 minutes or so, it, it really just shows at the end of the two legs that their goalkeeper was man of the match in both ties. That really says it all. But they didn't play well, Leicester, from then on. They scored their goal target. Whether Schmeichel could have been better, I think probably should, but... We had plenty of chances over the two legs. Look how poor they were in the first leg alone. How 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 much they defended, but also, I know it's Leicester's job and and when the opposition to come to the king power and and sit back and and it's Leicester's job to go forward and, and to create the chances and then ultimately take them and they just did not. They didn't do any of those. But in this game, they should have scored inside the first 20 minutes. We know what happened. Their goalkeeper made a brilliant save, tipped one onto uh, the crossbar from Tillemans. Madison, a couple of attempts. Uh, there was the penalty incident, which at the time I didn't see because I was too busy trying to balance on the seat in front of me. Uh, it's just a map, but you know. But uh, it, it was just so disappointed. And when Ineacho scores, you're thinking, right, here we go. We, we, there's going to be one more chance here. There's going to be another chance which we might take, go through to Wembley, great. Or if we get to fight, get to the penalties, we've got a, a decent record on penalties in the last few years, really, apart from 
those quarterfinals ties against, say, Chelsea, Man City. We've had a number of penalty shootouts in the recent years, and, and we've done well ultimately in the majority of them. So it, I was just just super confident, really, going into extra time. And then the sucker punch goal, it looked a goal all over as soon as that ball. And it and, and looking back at the goal, people saying Ricardo caught underneath it. Gray should have uh, closed down the cross. But ultimately, it was all about the cross. It was a, a fantastic deep ball and a very good finish as well. And then I've had to stand there along with many Leicester fans in the last few years. Twice, actually, for in my eyes, for a pitch invasion. It happened at Millwall in the in the FA Cup under Ranieri, one of his final games. And then it happened uh, the other day, and it was just, just really galling, really. But there you go, what can you do? You just have to move on, and then you play in the Premier League again, and you realise that we're third in the league. But it's just such an opportunity, and hopefully, hopefully, Rob, we are not looking back at the end of the season and going... What a great season we've had, but what about that one chance? That was the chance. I want to basically be able to look back at the end of the season and go, doesn't matter because we've gone on and done this. We've qualified for the Champions League and hopefully been to Wembley in the FA Cup. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I hope we don't regret it because I think that we've, uh, as supporters, really, the majority um, that I've spoken to or that I've seen on social media, etc., have done quite well at moving forward relatively quickly from this. There was a real danger that it could linger over people and create some bad feelings about the rest of the season or, or draw out too much negativity. There was a bit, don't get me wrong, there always is after after any defeat or any performance that the fans aren't entirely happy with and people are entitled to their opinions. But I think generally it's been one of disappointment in, in terms of the outcome but uh, let's crack on because really we've got bigger and better fish to fry. Not not that I'm dis- discounting the League Cup by any stretch, but still in uh, definitely in the hunt and in pole position for a Champions League place, uh, and uh, having just progressed to the next round of the of the FA Cup. So that having those positive things still to focus on. I think has helped us move on a lot quicker. Let's imagine we're mid-table in the Premier League and the FA Cup had gone awry and, and we'd lost in the third or fourth round. All of a sudden, you're regretting that result in the League Cup semi-final straight away, whereas now we have actually got other things to to put our focus into. Uh, and I think that's the way we have to move forward. It, my overriding thoughts and feelings about the game is the fact that it took place over 180 minutes it's uh, supposed to be a leveller. And on the balance of the result, Aston Villa put the ball in the back of the net more times than we did. Therefore, they deserve to be in the final. We we played well in the opening stages of the second leg, absolutely. And we did exactly what you and I suggested would be the right approach on the podcast before uh, the Brentford game, actually. But uh, the right approach for the Villa game would be to get in, get a goal, silence the crowd early and get ourselves in control of the tie and did everything but score the goal. Now, you can talk about their goalkeeper all you like, but we talked on this podcast about the the game against Burnley where Nick Pope got man of the match and then uh, Nealon's got man of the match in both of the semi-finals for Aston Villa. Now, does that strike you as a bit of a coincidence or is it the fact that these Leicester players could be putting the ball half a yard to a yard closer to the corner and therefore it's it's not entirely 
the quality of finishing that is needed to back up the level of performance because we said the Burnley game was a much improved performance and it was and the first section of the second leg of the semi-final against Aston Villa was a, a good performance the the passing was slick the movement was excellent the pace in the game the intensity in the game was excellent just couldn't score have we been really unlucky in having three goalkeeping man of the match performances already in 2020 or is it just a case of the fact that we are getting back on track in terms of our performance levels but that final final finish is not quite hitting the back of the net as often as it was before Christmas um, and maybe that there is some question mark over the finishing I don't know I'm st- I'm torn because this has been going around in my head for quite a lot it sounds like too much of a coincidence that we've had three man of the match goalkeeping performances. I'm not saying the goalkeeper didn't play well, but our finishing should have been better, surely. I think it's a bit of both. I think I think Leicester's performances are getting better. They're not quite at levels that they were before Christmas. But you look at the goal scoring charts, and, and for me it's quite simple. You've got Jamie Vardy out there on 17 league goals in the Premier League hasn't scored for a while, slightly off pace as we get to the game against Chelsea. He, he looks, I'm not saying a shadow, but he looked like he was, say, 80%. He wasn't quite as sharp as he as he has been earlier in the season. And when a side has plenty of goals from one person and then they stop scoring, it's going to be difficult for the others to pick up the pieces. They're, they're not as razor sharp in front of goal as Jamie Vardy. No one else is really in the league. Iniacho has got a good goal-scoring record off the bench, and maybe should be starting some games. It's 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 just an interesting conundrum. I I don't think I, I think Leicester is still playing well, dominated in periods of games, creating chances, which lead to the goalkeepers making saves. I think the goalkeepers have played well in those games, obviously because they've had the man in the match performances. I don't think it's Leicester uh, necessarily missing too many chances, uh, which leads to them not winning the games. That might sound a very strange thing to say, especially when we're in the context of the Villa game. But you create three or four very good chances in the first 20 minutes and then not a lot else until Iniacho scores towards the end of the game. I was disappointed with what Leicester did after that first 20 minutes. Yes, they didn't score, but they didn't control the game. And every team's entitled and able to come back into the game and and hats off to Villa they played like a like Leicester used to say in 2000 in that semi-final they out Leicester Leicester in a way but because we've progressed to a certain level we we didn't control the game as well as we should have done we had the players out there who have been and done it at Villa Park they've been and done it at Leicester against Villa only a week or so earlier and they didn't have control of the game for the it's the middle, say, 40 minutes that really got me. Where Leicester really should have controlled the ball, created chances, and they didn't. And in that kind of period, no one scored. But for me, that was the part that Leicester lost the game because they should have been on top. And aside with aspirations and ambitions and in the place that they are in the league, that's when they should be killing off teams or taking their chances. At the moment, and especially showing up in that Villa game, it didn't happen. And they got done. And we can talk... We, we haven't mentioned the, the big thing. I said I, I didn't see it in real time. But that the handball, it's, it's, it's plain and obvious. I don't think there's really a lot going into it. Everybody knows. Shot by Madison, saved by 
the defender, and it's a it's an obvious handball. I don't blame the referee for not seeing it in real time because it could have been a player in front of him. But with VAR now, it should be quite easy. Have they looked at the wrong clip? Obviously, because if they haven't, then there's something seriously wrong. Someone's made a massive error or they've just not given the decision. I quite like how Leicester went about it after the game in the forthcoming few days because as soon as they mentioned that they were almost going to write to the FA or they want an explanation from the FA regarding the process. I like how they use the word, say, process of how the VAR decision came to hand, what are the rules, because they just want clarity, not on that specific uh, decision and who, why did they not give the penalty, because that will sound like um, like they're, you know tears and this that, and the other, and you can imagine well, how that would blow up in, in the face of other people. It would, People would turn around and it would be a little bit of a laughing stock, really, complaining about that one decision. But I quite liked how they, they worded it, because they just wanted the whole process of what happened. Because if it turns out that they've looked at the wrong clip, which is I think it's plain and obvious that they have done, because it was such a quick decision as well, after looking at the game afterwards. And then, of course, Lee Mason turns up as the referee on Saturday. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you, really? Uh, and he didn't cover himself in an awful lot of glory on Saturday. So that's that's how it is, really. We all know it should have been a penalty, but was that the reason that Leicester didn't win? No. Over two legs, you can't just say that one decision. If it's Don't get me wrong. If that happened in the 90th minute of that game before they score, then yes, it was the reason that you didn't go through. And that's an easy thing to say. But in this case, it was so early on in that second leg. So I'm not going to lay blame at the... Um, at that one decision for us not going through. And I don't think anyone else should really because they had plenty of chances. And it's their own fault. End of the day, they're not going to go to Wembley. They could look back on this season as a team and as players, and they should do. Hopefully, fingers crossed, they've gone to Wembley in the league in the FA Cup and who knows what could happen. They qualify for the Champions League, but they could look back and go, what were we doing there? What a, what a crazy thing to do to not beat Aston Villa. Whether they just, it, it was just a slight, just, just off. That middle part of the game, they were just off. Um, and ultimately, very disappointed. And we can go on and on and on about it, really. But it was a while ago now. We've moved on. Hopefully, everyone else has. And we've played in the Premier League, Rob. And we've drawn against Chelsea in what turned out to be a very good game. I went as a fan. I didn't uh, go as a, as a commentator. I went uh, with my dad, who's got great seats, I've uh, said before, behind the dugouts. And um, it was great to go as a supporter. Although, I think Leicester was still in bed for the first half. But then the second half is where all the action kicked in. And it was just a really good game. And I think overall 2-2 is probably, if you step back as we do and take a look overall, it's probably about right in terms of score, in terms of the overall result being the draw. But we had our chances really to win that game. And when you're in front with, what, 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, and you don't win, it's always disappointing whoever you're playing. It is. It was the second competitive match I've managed to make it to this season. I was also there. Uh, I wasn't there as a fan. I was there as a commentator, mainly because I couldn't scrounge either my mum or dad's season ticket off them. So I uh, went to begging at the door of uh, my former employer and ended up with uh, a seat in the press box and a microphone shoved in front of my gob for my troubles. Uh, I really enjoyed it, actually. It was um, a very entertaining game. And I think... 
it was an entertaining game from a neutral's point of view, but also from a Chelsea fan's point of view and also from a Leicester fan's point of view. I think all sets of fans would uh, agree that 2 all was probably the right outcome. Um, first half, whilst it wasn't full of quality, was quite entertaining in terms of being quite end-to-end uh, and a few chances created. But the second half was brilliant. We needed to get f- uh, four goals and... Uh, some some good play, I think, from both teams, and there was almost at times it was weird because at times there were there was a huge sort of twenty thirty yard chasm in the middle of the park, and we'd go striding through it, and then the ball would get cleared by Chelsea, and then they'd go striding through that gap that was there. You know, the gap that's almost we don't even notice Wilfred and Didi covering was there in plain sight for everybody to see for the majority of the game. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought. Um, the atmosphere was great. Look, it would have been nice to have opened up our cushion even further uh, between us and Chelsea, between third and fourth place, knowing that nobody could overtake Chelsea. So that would be a sort of real gap, if you like. But it was much better to draw it than it was to lose it and have the gap squashed. It'll be frustrating, I think, for Leicester because we've not conceded many goals from set pieces this season. Uh, and for two goals to be scored by... Uh, Rudiger, both from set pieces, is disappointing. However, I would imagine if Wilfred and Didi was on the field of play that Rudiger would have been his man. Because the problem for Leicester is when we've only got Evans and Soyuncu who are above six foot, everybody else in the team is under six foot apart from Wilfred and Didi. And when he was uh, a late exclusion from the starting lineup because of a sore knee, Chilwell's had to pick Rudiger up. And you're almost left with no real option. Chilwell's very springy uh, and he does win his fair share of headers. But when you've got a a man mountain like Rudiger, who's a centre-back, his job is to win headers in both boxes. It was always going to be difficult for Chilwell. And I'm not entirely convinced he did an awful lot wrong for, uh, for either of them, really. Just couldn't battle in terms of aerial strength with Rudiger for the goals. And and I think our record was something like equal best in the division for uh, for the fewest goals conceded in from a corner this season. Um, and that has since changed from a set-piece point of view. But thoroughly enjoyable, much better than the last game I got back for, which was um, a fairly drab affair against Burnley, I think, in November time. So I was, uh, I was very pleased that, uh, at what I saw for 90 minutes in terms of an entertaining spectacle. It was. I was disappointed with Leicester in the first half. I think we were quite fortunate in many ways to get in uh, at half-time when it was uh, 0-0. There was a lot of going on with the Chelsea side. There's a lot of politics going on at Chelsea, which there always is between the manager. Why Why doesn't the manager of Chelsea, whoever it is, just actually talk to the board and talk to the owner and talk to the director of football about signing players? Why is there always making... Um, by, by by changing the bench, by not including so and so, by including whoever in the starting lineup, sending a message to the board regarding trans. Just just talk to people. It's a lot easier than having to change the goalkeeper or playing a centre forward who wasn't fit, like Abraham's, and not having Giroud on the bench. It seems ever so strange that there's always these making, uh, you know, making suggestions or whatever by uh, by team selection. But anyway, changing goalkeeper, no keeper. Caballero in goal and uh, Abraham's up front looked woefully short of any match fitness at all. Fell over his own feet a number of times. 
But we got through to half-time, nil-nil. Second half, you can't start any worse. Concede within a minute the header, as you said. But then Leicester really got into the game. I was really interested in the Barnes versus James battle because he's looked, it's a really good player, Rhys James. What a fantastic, not only prospect, but right now, uh, even in terms of England, at this precise moment, I think he's that good. Um, so that was a, a fantastic battle. And Barnes, on the odd occasion when he had the chance to run at James, uh, he beat him on a number of occasions, scored the equaliser by the help of a deflection or right behind that as well. So you could see that go in. Uh, and then we got what could have been the winner through Chilwell, who played a lot better. I mean, he started terribly. That missed uh, control straight away. The first thing he did was let the ball run under his foot. And he thought, hang on, it's not going to be one of those days. But no, he did well. He did very well to get down the line for the goal. Uh, his ultimate ball into the box was poor. But fair play to Ricardo, who kept the ball in, didn't give up. And then everyone just got drawn to the ball. Very odd-like how everyone just went over towards the ball Again, fairly poor ball across the six-yard box, and then there's Chilwell back post going. Well, just knocking in the in the in the back post. There's no one there at all. It was a a strange goal, and then that really good Rudiger header. As you said, people have been questioning maybe Schmeichel uh, should he have come out for the first one possibly and punched it. The second one, that for me it was just a really good header, heading it back the way it came from, looping header as well. Uh, it's going to take a, a really good save to get there. It ultimately didn't. So we had a number of chances at the end. Evans with that header, completely free, just got it wrong. And then it was Barnes by sliding the ball past the keeper. Is it going to roll in? No, just goes wide. The better chances were for us with that Vardy one in the first half. He doesn't look quite fit. Hopefully this gap really plays into Vardy's strength where he can rest and then also get back up to match fitness as well. I don't think he's... Not say fully fit uh, in terms of Matt Sharp, but I think it's 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 to do with that injury. I don't think it's it's anything in terms of confidence or whatever. I think it was just that injury, and because of the games against Villa, we had to get him back. Ultimately, we've got a couple of weeks off now, and fingers crossed he's uh, he will be okay. But that draw against Chelsea uh, meant that we're now twelve points clear of Tottenham in fifth because they then went and beat Man City, which is ultimately a. a a strange result and uh, a bit of a freak result. Whether Tottenham turn out to be the main challengers to the top four as they are now, we'll wait and see. With Wolves away a week on Friday, it could easily be Wolves who overtake them if they get a positive result. But again, we're in a, a really, really good place. And um, and at the moment, again, 12 points clear, Rob. It's, it, you, you could not have asked for more, really, at this point of the season. No, of course you couldn't. And you look at a fixture like Chelsea at home and for us to come away and say, OK, a draw was a fair result, but we had the chances to win it, I think shows how far we've come. And, and it and it really allows us to take stock of the fact. I think the disappointment of the Aston Villa semi-final defeat really helped to magnify how well our season is going so far. And you look at, you know, you compare... Uh, our league position this time last season you look at the job that Brendan Rodgers has done in what must be coming up to a year now it was about February last year wasn't it when he took over it's been an, an excellent season for us so far and it is not really it's not showing any signs of derailing which I think a lot of people thought okay Leicester have made a good start and then we got to the midway point of the season okay Leicester are looking pretty good at the halfway stage and 
bar a, a blip rather than a derailment, we are right on track for one of the best seasons we've had in a very long time. But not only that, I think the the exciting thing is that that we can see it's a long-term thing. I don't think many people, even the most deluded Leicester fans, when we won the Premier League, would have thought, oh, yeah, next season we'll be right up there challenging for the title again. It was just That was just one of those one-off seasons, whereas this feels like more than just foundations being built for what the future holds for this football club. It looks like the kind of season that we can almost come to... I don't want to say expect because I don't want our expectations to go through the roof because I think that's dangerous then because you know you you can't expect more and more and more and more but the kind of season that we can look forward to enjoying more often in the near future I think all of the foundations are in place for that uh, and I think Brendan Rodgers is absolutely the right man to be building this squad and this club in a direction where we are coming away from 2-2 draws against Chelsea, feeling a little bit disappointed that we haven't been able to nick it on a more regular basis rather than as a one-off. At the time of recording, the team news has just come through for is it Motherwell against Celtic. I don't know who they're playing. But anyway, Edouard up front for, for Celtic. More goals for him. Every game, I, it's, he's, he's the signing for me. He's the player I want in at Leicester in the summer. Looking at that game on Saturday... Ignacio came on and did well. Don't get me wrong, Ignacio's done really well this year, but they need another forward, centre-forward, uh, someone with a bit of presence as well. And I, th- I just think he, he fits the full package. The full package, he fits the bill, his age, the value, the fact he's worked at the club, uh, he's worked with Rogers before. Uh, they just need that because there was one or two interesting uh, discussion points with the team on Saturday. Uh, Perez played very well second half. Played really well, was getting stuck in, getting back, helping out the defence, and then going forward, riding tackles, playing the balls into channels, running the channels as well. He worked really well with um, Ricardo in that second half, and hopefully that's a, a relationship that can develop. It was possibly, possibly uh, you'd say it probably was actually, for me, the best half he's maybe played. I know he didn't score, but in terms of his aggression... And and that's what it, I don't know what happened at half time. Whether he got um, you know the full hair dryer treatment, you never know. But uh, I think he was okay in the first half. But second half, I think he was really good. Chowdhury did well coming in late into the side because of Indeedy not playing. And and also the way that Leicester played the ball around the back line, there was a few occasions in that game, especially I would say in the second half because we had the ball more often than in the first. And they were playing it around the bat line and, and the cop, because we were shooting towards the family stand and the east stand, were just starting to get a bit restless at a number of points when it kept on going back. And all of a sudden, um, the goal for Barnes was a, a quick ball. One, two, goal. And that's all very well and good saying, look, we had the ball at the back and it was that move. And I know I'm not saying, I'm saying we should do it every single time because you just, you're not going to score a goal with every forward move. But... I think there's plenty more opportunities for players to move the ball forward quicker. Now, whether that was just because it was Chowdhury playing and he was playing maybe a little bit more safe because of the game situation as well, because we were still in the game, it wasn't like we were chasing and he didn't really want to make any serious errors. Whether if indeed he was playing, we would have moved it further forward quicker. 
probably is the case. Um, but Chowdhury ultimately did well. I know he got beat in the air, but overall, I think he did very well. And Chilwell as well. Um, a lot of people, I think it was given Man of the Match on uh, BBC Radio Leicester. I, I don't think Man of the Match for me would have been probably, maybe because he scored the goal uh, to ultimately get the, the point. That maybe would have tipped it in his direction. I think overall, maybe Barnes or, or for me, Perez was ahead of him. Uh, but it, it was better. It wasn't quite the forward runs and the overlaps and the, the, the running at pace with the ball that we've seen from Sherwell in the past. I think a lot of that's to do with just the, the players that they were playing against. As I mentioned, Reese James behind uh, or ahead of him at fullback, and then someone like Hudson Odoi, who I thought was disappointing, but he's a player who's always going to live with you with pace, and also he's quite a powerful person, so to try and beat them is a difficult thing to do uh, physically. So he did better, he did a lot better, but he's still not quite up to the, the player who we saw for, I'm going to say the middle part of the first part of the season, if that makes any sense, the middle part uh, until just before, say, Christmas, where he was absolutely exceptional. But uh, overall, an awful lot better, and ultimately a point in the Premier League, as, and as we said, against Chelsea, it's never a bad thing. But uh, some interesting performances. How who, who stood out for you, really, overall, as being not only the, the better player on the day, but also, what did you think of Perez? That's really what I want to see. I think Perez was good, yeah. It, he's... He's a player that seems to have a lot to offer, but doesn't necessarily offer all of it at the same time. And that's what can make him quite frustrating. We saw him score a very, very brave header for Newcastle against Leicester when he was when they visited last season, season before. And, and he does, when he feels like it, put himself into tackles. Other games he shows more of his technical ability, especially when he drifts inside to allow room for Ricardo, that almost makes a sort of two number 10s playing off Jamie Vardy then with James Madison, or it enables Madison to drop a bit deeper for Perez to get on the ball um, in the in the gap between the defence and midfield of the opposition. And when he takes up those positions, he can show some very nice touches and some very good awareness. Other times you'll see him busting a gut to get back to help out Ricardo, but I think you're right. I think the second half against Chelsea was one of the first times where I've seen all of those things combined together. He was effective in his ground coverage. He was effective in his uh, attempts to regain possession, and he was effective with the ball and with his movement in the final third. So I, I would agree with you in terms of a half of football. It's certainly the one of the first times where I've seen all of his characteristics knit themselves together into the player that I would say was worth the transfer fee that we paid for him in the summer. Now, I'm not saying he's been playing poorly this season at all, but I think what fans would want from him would be to see the, the good things that they, that they know are there and they see quite often, uh, would like to see them all together and more consistently. In terms of other players... Who I thought were um, were good. I thought uh, I thought Tielemans was very positive, and was very industrious in the centre of midfield. I think that's the reason he came off quite early in the um, in the second half, just because of his legs, because he'd properly put himself about. I think he he is a wise enough player to. And I mean, he said it. He said it wasn't very easy for him to take being dropped to the bench by the manager, but he 
understands the reason why and he knows that the best thing to do is when he next gets his opportunity is to show what he showed in his loan spell with us and uh, the beginning of the season. And I think he got very close to being back at that level against Chelsea. He just, you know, a lot of central midfielders, especially ones that are in there as passers uh, and, and are expected to do a more box-to-box style job, their first touch would always be a sideways one or a backwards one just to make sure they're being safe. Somebody like Chowdhury's like that. And Didi used to be like it until Brendan Rodgers and his coaching staff got really stuck into his um, ability on the ball. Whereas Tielemans, as often as he possibly can, his first touch will be in the direction of the opposition's goal to enable his head to be in that direction so he can see more clearly where he can offload the ball. And I think when he does that, he uses the ball very, very well. Uh, Some things don't come off, but... If you don't try them, if you don't try those difficult passes, they'll never come off and you'll never create any chances. So I think it was nice to see him put in a shift physically, but also he he brings that touch of forward thinking positivity to the midfield. Even James Madison, I think Madison took too many touches for large parts of possession against Chelsea. Um, I know you asked for standout players, but I'm I'm sort of comparing the two really as our forward-thinking central midfield players. And I think Madison was dropping deep, but he'd get the touch and the first touch would be sideways or backwards before he then would know he'd had enough room to do a complete swivel, in which time any potential gap to thread a pass through has been very quickly shut down. So I think that was the the subtle difference I noticed in the centre of midfield. So I was pleased with Tielemans. I think Chilwell did well uh, and took his goal well uh, and recovered from an early bad touch which in the past may have affected his game and the fans may have got on his back for it. Uh, but I'm pleased that he that he managed to get rid of that quite quickly and turn it into a positive performance. And I think overall, that's exactly what it was, a positive performance. And if Barnes finds the bottom corner rather than shaving the post and that Johnny Evans header that goes in nine times out of ten goes in, you're coming away with a 4-2 win and a massive cushion between third and fourth and and thinking happy days. So positive performance. And I think we needed that to enable us to go into this winter break on on a positive note. I can't even begin to imagine what people would have felt like if we'd have lost to Villa and then gone on this break. I think we needed that positive performance and a point on the board against Chelsea back at home to make sure that we miss football for the right reasons for the next couple of weeks. In a unbelievably strange tangent, but also you know, on a positive note, I've just seen a clip on uh, Sky Sports News of I think it's the heads up FA campaign regarding mental health. You've got basically on a really big table football, so probably just one or two barrels or, or lines of players more than usual. You've got Prince William, uh, Adiak and Fenwick, I think that's Frank Kirby, the uh, Chelsea player. You've got uh, Tony Adams, uh, that's Andros Townsend, that's Ledley King, and it looks like they're playing a game for the cameras and it gets super competitive. Um, Akin Fenwick's gone into full beast mode. Uh, I think Prince Williams just accused Tony Adams of a foul or spinning. And it's really good footage. It, it just looks like they've ignored the fact that the world's media is watching them and they've just got massively involved in this uh, in this game of uh, table football. Anyway, um, 
my question, another one to you, Rob, um, is it's that access in midfield. It's position eight, ten, and seven. So eight being the midfielder alongside Ndidi. Uh ten being obviously the centre of the two or the three behind Vardy. So Barnes one side, the ten in the centre, and then the seven being on the right. So at the moment or in that game, it would be Tillemans in midfield, Madison is the ten, and then out wide on the right, Perez. Is that the three that you would choose? Because Dennis Pratt comes on, and I didn't realise how quick he was. He's a real scamperer around the pitch. He's very, very quick. We know that he's a good player. But you've got the option of playing him in midfield, moving Tillemans um, further forward, and then having uh, basically as the uh, alongside, say, Vardy, someone like Madison, you know, push him further forward? Or would you, for example, put Madison, and I know a lot of people didn't like Madison out wide, but would you put Madison at like a seven out wide on the right or, or, or further out on the right, um, push Tillemans further forward, which means obviously then Perez doesn't get a place in the side? Um, or would you stick to how they're currently operating at the moment? We know and we've said many times that if there was a place in this side at the moment that you would you'd bring someone in. It would be a forward or, or possibly a wide on the right or a right winger, if that's the way we're going to go. I would also just throw into the arguments as well. He's very much a right-footed player, Harvey Barnes, and we know he can cut inside and score, a la against Chelsea. But I would like to see him on the right. I can't think of a run of games that he's actually played on the right-hand side and and run straight at the defence with the ball. And then take a shot with his right foot. Because at the moment, he's always having to come inside. We know he's not got the worst left foot in the world, but he's not as confident. Look at what happened up until this recent run of scoring. Beforehand, he was woefully short of confidence uh, in front of goal, especially with his left foot. Everything with his left foot was spooned all over the place. Uh, With his right, the goal at Sheffield United, we know he can hit one. But I'd like to see him play on the right-hand side. I don't think switching Perez to the left would actually make a lot of difference because he's not that sort of player who's going to be beating. I don't think that's his, his, his optical place. I think alongside Vardy is his best place in the penalty area itself where he can be quick-footed and, and turn and shoot and, and, and use his goal-scoring skills, which he, has, which he hasn't shown an awful lot at Leicester because he's been in a different position. So that's the experiment I would like. I would like him to maybe bring in Pratt... Uh, maybe switch over to the right-hand side, Barnes, um, or even bring Perez further forward alongside Vardy. The beauty of the fact that you're even able to ask this question is the fact that we do have players of very good quality that can play in a number of positions and a number of different systems. Dennis Pratt, um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think was included in the diamond system that we played against Aston Villa in the league. Um with Ndidi at the base of the diamond, Pratt and Tielemans either side, and Madison as the forward point of the diamond with um, a two-man strike force, which is something that didn't then work in the next game. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was against, but it was it worked against Villa. So that's an option, uh, and it's an option that enables Pratt... Norwich. 
might might well have been yeah yeah um yeah i think it was because we said we needed to be more uh, expansive in that game didn't we um but that's an option that allows you to play those four central players then you've got to look at who do you who do you drop you miss then the pace of barnes uh, unless you put him up front where he started in the last round of the FA Cup, wasn't it? Um, you or you lose the sort of you lose what Perez brings to you, and you play Vardy and Ianacho up front. I don't know. There is that option. Now uh, I don't like Madison out wide, and I don't because I don't think he's used to playing that enough to do it to come inside as effectively as somebody like Perez does to occupy space. I think Madison is used to being in central areas of the field. I agree with your theory on Barnes and Perez. If they are playing wide, uh, and Chelsea did it actually against against us at the weekend, they switched their wingers for periods during the game. Pedro and Hudson-Odoi switched a couple of times. It'd be interesting to see Harvey Barnes take a left-back on on his outside and get to the byline. Equally, Perez likes to wander inside, and it would be interesting to see what he could offer if he's coming in inside on his stronger right foot. I think there's a, lo- a lot of options there, and it almost really depends on who's in form at the time. Because if, if I'd have just known not a lot about football or not a lot about Leicester and I'd watched the Chelsea game, I would absolutely have said that, yeah, Pratt came on for Tielemans, but Pratt looked busy, Pratt looked industrious, and I think that's what he does. Um, and I would have almost, but he's good on the ball. So I would have almost said, based on that performance alone, then you would leave Madison out, put Tielemann further forward and put Pratt in the box-to-box role. Because I think you lose a little bit of what Tielemans can offer if you're asking him to do the legwork. And that was proven by the fact that he came off blowing for, for Pratt midway through the second half. So Madison wide is not the answer for me. Uh, Perez and Barnes switching wings absolutely even for times during the game just to see how it works and just to add a different dynamic I would completely agree with you almost need to look at it from a rotation point of view and think well if this player needs a a bit of a rest or if this player didn't reach their full potential you know there's no reason why Brendan Rodgers couldn't leave James Madison out for Dennis Pratt Dennis Pratt is an experienced international footballer so there's no reason why for a certain game Pratt couldn't come in for Madison. Madison's not undroppable. So it's almost what system's going to work against the opposition, who's in form, who's fit, who is going through a, a good patch, who could do a job somewhere else. There'd even be an argument in some circles for Ricardo to play a more advanced position down the right-hand side and have him playing as an out-and-out winger. And Justin, who's looked very able when on the odd occasion that he's that he's put on a Leicester shirt this season, could come in at right-back. So lots of different options. I don't know the answer. I don't think there is an answer. But I think the fact that we are able to have this discussion is, is a real positive and that we're not stuck with the same 11 players in the same system. Yeah, I, I would, for me, I would slightly change it. And it's just a personal thing, but... I think at the moment, Yuri um, Tillemans, he's not playing as well as we've known in the past. And also, I don't think his, his strength is actually in as a as a number eight or in the midfield. I think he needs to be further forward. So I would actually start the team with him. I would actually have him in the number 10 role, which 
I know people are going to say, oh, no, look, Madison's number 10 and he's not as effective out wide. I completely agree. But at the moment, I think Perez, even though I thought he played well second half, especially against Chelsea, I don't think he's been as effective out wide. I think his best work is when he's in the penalty area. So I would actually play Pratt in midfield, push Tillemans further forward, and then have Barnes and Madison as, and we say wingers, but let's let's be honest, I know Barnes stays out wide, but not really, are they? They're not your, not your Steve Guppies or, or your Ryan Giggses or whatever. They don't like stick to the, the, the Stuart Ripley even, like, they don't stick to the line. They, they do come in, they're just kind of a right-sided forward. And I think having Madison in that position, I think it would bring out the best in Tillemans. I, I want Tillemans to be more effective going forward. I don't want him back tackling an awful lot. because Yes, he'll have to do that, but not as a midfielder. So I would like to see that happen. That obviously, obviously drops Perez from the side, but there you go. It can easily rotate. You can always move players around. I just think that at the moment, two things, I think Pratt, probably deserves to start but also that for me would get the most out of Tillemans I want to see him at 10 I want to see him at the centre of things going forward playing the through balls to uh, to Jamie Vardy or to whoever the centre forward is in Yacho uh, but also to take more shots to strike a goal remember the goal scoring record he had when he first joined he was scoring goals at the moment Tillemans is not getting in the positions as much because of the position he's playing and I just want him to have a bit more I'd say less responsibility and a bit more ability to show his flair. I think that's what's missing. And and whether that sacrifices Madison by just slightly pushing him out wide, I think that's a, a risk worth taking. I think that's what we we could do with. And and let's just say if one player in that side then doesn't play well for whatever reason, picks up a knock, you can easily move things around. Pratt gets injured, move everyone back to how they normally are. Uh, Barnes goes off or isn't playing very well, not a problem. You can then bring Perez on and you can switch things around. It, You know, you, you can easily interchange the side, just like you said at the beginning. But I, that's just something for whether it's going to happen at uh, Wolves away. I don't think so because, well, actually, actually you say that. Um, whether Pratt starts or not, that could happen because it's going to be a very difficult game against a very good and playing well Wolves team. Uh, I think a point would be a, a, a really good result. It's going to be very difficult. It's put it this way: you play your Chelsea's, you play your. I know you, apart from Man City and Liverpool, this is probably the hardest game away from there. You could, Arsenal not in good form, Spurs in and out. Wolves is really for me probably the most difficult out of the top two. It's going to be a very tough game. I'm not saying Leicester... I don't, I'm not saying that I think they're not going to get in anything from the game. I think we've got a great chance of going there and getting something. You look at Barnes playing really well. Someone like him on the break, hopefully Jamie Vardy's fully fit. But I tell you what, right now, Rob, if you offer me a point, I will take that point. I will snap your hand off. Absolutely. They're, they're a very, very good team. And they proved that last season. Everybody thought the wheels had come off this season with their Europa League campaign starting about three days after the Premier League season finished in the summer. But after a bit of a a slow start, they've recovered to a position where they are very much in contention for European place. And I think they are genuine contenders for that. And I think they've got some very good players. They've added to the squad. And 
I would absolutely take a a draw. Obviously, I'm going to predict a Leicester win because I pretty much always do, but I would very much take a draw against them. Um, and one thing I wanted to say about Wolves, which really actually brings us on to the one and only piece of transfer news we can really talk about with any interest, is the fact that they've improved their squad from a very good season last season. They've had a, a player who appeared 34 times for them in the Premier League last season. And they've got the luxury of farming him off on loan to us, which I think is a real, real sign of quality because they had a superb season last season, qualifying for the Europa League. Hugely unexpected after coming straight from the Championship. Everyone thought they'd do well, but not that well. This guy played 34 times for them, Ryan Bennett, uh, and is almost surplus to requirements this season. It just shows that the strength of the squad, although it's quite a small squad, it's a strong squad. Um, and I think it's benefited all parties, really, Ryan Bennett coming to Leicester, because what it has done is allowed Philip Benkovic to go out on loan to Bristol City to get some games in him in the English League. And you'd probably argue that large parts of the Championship are of a, a similar standard to the Scottish Premiership, if not stronger. So it's it's not really a step down from playing regularly for Celtic last season. It gives him a chance to get some um, senior minutes in his legs. It gives us a backup option at centre-back of somebody who, as I said, played pretty much in all but four games of the Premier League season in which Wolverhampton Wanderers did very well last season. So I think all round... It's a good short-term deal. I agree. It's a bit like when we were interested in Vestergaard, we mentioned on the previous podcast, and I said it was it would have been an easy, uh, easy purchase because he would have slotted straight in, even into the first team if needed, but also into the setup because of it his experience in league football. But this 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 is, applies to Bennett as well. Is Bennett going to take our back line to places that it's not at the moment? No, of course it's not. But again, is he a player who can just slot straight in if something happens? Uh, Wes Morgan, for example, has been uh, ill over the last, say, week or so. A perfect example of something that's beyond anyone's control, which means that he can then come into the either starting lineup or onto the bench. I think it's a bit of a strange signing because if you're Wolves, you're lending a player to a rival, a big rival, because we mentioned Wolves are probably along, well, Spurs and Wolves, but... Wolves could easily be challenging for that fourth place. Who knows what could happen in the next, say, five or six games. And and then imagine if Bennett's playing really well for Leicester because of whatever and ultimately cost them a Champions League place. I know that's quite far-fetched, but still, it does apply. Um, it's not like you would expect, say, Chelsea to loan a player to Leicester or something along them lines or Man City to Liverpool, but uh, it still does apply. I think it's an easy signing. I don't know whether he'll be staying for the rest of the season. I'd imagine they'll take a good look at him. Apparently, Rogers tried to sign him when he was at Swansea. It didn't work out. But I agree with Benkovic. He just needs time. Whether he's going to develop into the player, we hope. Who knows? We'll wait and see. But uh, yeah, a good move all round. No problems at all. And well, we'll see whether Bennett gets a, a game. You look at the game against, say, Birmingham. It could be an ideal game for him to play against a team where... Who's their big centre forward who still plays for them? Uh, they got that really tall centre forward. Um, but anyway, I can't remember his name. Oh my god, I can't remember. what is what's it called? Anyway, um, 
they've got that six foot seven guy. So whether Bennett, whether they'll go to a back three, even if he's going to be like a lone striker for Birmingham, and again we'll do a preview podcast before then. But I'd imagine if if they're playing with one up top, um, an ideal scenario is possibly play three at the back, bring him in, and say, look, there you go, just keep hold of him the whole game, and and um, and look after that threat if you can, a, a six foot seven centre forward. But yeah, a, a good signing, um, no real links with any huge players. We know the defender from Juventus that went downhill because of his knee, and we'll see what happens in the summer. But I quite like how they kept the powder dry. Uh, no one left the club. A lot of players went out on loan. The under-21s or the under-23s, they were unlucky really losing the other night to Newport in the in the EFL Trophy in the quarter-finals. That would have been interesting if they got to the semi-final against Salford and then possibly to Wembley. That would have been fantastic. But when you lose your best two players because Drewsby Hall's gone to Blackpool on loan after making his first team debut against Brentford in the cup uh, and that's really good for for us in this area because in, in, in Shepshed where I'm from he's a Shepshed lad I don't know him don't know the family but there you go he's a he's a Shepshed lad and that's quite interesting just just for the locality of it um, and then Muswaki who, who I think I, from what I've seen in the 23s just looks electric and he's gone to Swindon which is a really interesting low move because it's quite rare for a team who are flying like Swindon they had their um, their main centre forward, who there was who was on loan from Bradford. This is a weird scenario. Um, score twenty odd goals and then go back to Bradford, but now he's gone back to Swindon. They're flying at the top of the table, and yet they pick up what has to be one of the the hottest prospects in under twenty three football at the moment. And we'll see how he gets on at a club who are flying. For them to pick up a loan signing like him, in in what is already a very potent attacking lineup is uh, is is a good move and quite exciting it's not like he's just gone to some nobodies you take a look at Swindon if you don't know where they are in the league just take a look and how many goals they've scored so that looks again uh, a very positive move for them but because we lost our two best players to then go out to Newport it's no real surprise 1-0 but uh, never mind the under-23s are, are doing great things anyway on to uh, on the final thing, actually, before we go to the, uh, the the FPL, the Fancy Premier League. We mentioned last week about our fifth anniversary, our fifth uh, birthday as a podcast. And we were trying to work out when roughly it was. And and we said it was a time when Pearson was sacked and then not sacked. It was, it was that kind of Sunday where it all kind of went wrong. And I've worked out, Rob, it was after... And I think you'll agree with me, but uh, but hear me out on this. So we played Crystal Palace at home on the 7th, okay, which everyone remembers because it was when uh, MacArthur was strangled by Pearson, okay. Uh, And then the day after was the Sunday, so the 8th, and that was the day when all the rumours went round that he's been sacked. Um, And then it turns out he wasn't. So on the Monday, the 9th, we did the pod for the first time because that was the 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 topic on offer. It was it was uh, such a, a a great story really to talk about on a first for Fox Eight podcast. So we're going to go with the ninth as being the the official birthday really um, of when we were born when the podcast was born. So this coming Sunday the ninth is the the fifth birthday of the podcast. So now we know when uh, when when we started this because our memories are awful. Happy birthday to us. Can you actually believe it's been half a decade? This is the last 
uh, the last episode we'll do before we reach that milestone. And if you are somebody listening who's listened to episode one all those years ago uh, and is still with us now, we salute you. Thank you very much because we appreciate it. We we would probably ring each other occasionally and talk about the football anyway, but to actually do it and know that there are other people engaging with it and uh, and getting back to us and joining in the conversation uh, from a social media point of view is is very nice for us to to hear and for us to know. And if you've been with us through all five years so far, then thank you very much. We'll we'll see if we can drag it out for another five, shall we? Exactly, and a lot of people know who we are we, we mentioned on the last podcast about our role say at Leicester but also just kind of behind the scenes we, we mentioned a, a number of times especially early on the fact that we actually just sit down and record I know it kind of sounds like that but that's exactly what we do we don't want to be one of those where we've got everything listed out and move on to bits and bobs I've got one or two things listed down like I've got basically who scored for Chelsea and for Villa and that was it. I've got nothing else on this bit of paper, just purely because once you start on a tangent, you can go off anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I've talked about what I've seen on Sky Sports News with that uh, table football game. And then you completely lose track of, of, of where things go. But that's that's what makes the podcast, really. So we generally do sit down and start recording. It would be nice to do one when we're both in the same room. I think it works well when we're not. I'm in, for fuck's sake, HQ1. You're in HQ2 up in Sheffield. We know that, but... Uh, but there we go. It's it's working, and um, and like I said, we're enjoying doing it. So that's the main thing. And hopefully, especially those from minute one, if you can't even listen from uh, minute one to stick with the podcast through 134 episodes, you've heard you've heard some rubbish. You've heard some pretty good stuff as well. But I tell you, you've heard some rants, some proper rants, mainly from Rob. Anyway, um, final few things. First of all, the Fantasy Premier League. Hit that music, Rob. Okay, the Fancy Premier League. Uh, this is the top 10. So in 10th place on 1,440. They're all in the 1,000, so I'll say 440 just to make it easy. Uh, we have rising to 10th place, the Green Bay Foxes, Cliff Frost. And in 9th, going down to 440, uh, Pianic Prevention, Daniel Charters. Up into 8th place, uh, Jack Shit Get Banged by Mike Oxlong, 440. 48. The same points down into 7th is Loudmouth FC and it's Perco Mark Perkins. In 6th place, rise into 6th place on 453 points, it's Barcelona Ben Payne. Now the top 5, they all remain in the same places. So 5th is Saigon Foxes, Gab Brown's team, one, uh, 470 points. In fourth place, uh, Graham Large, whole yacht of love. He's a big Wolves fan, so hopefully he suffers in a couple of weeks' time. 497 points, bit of a gap then. Uh, in third place, Vini Vidi Vardy, Ben Melbourne, 508. And then the top two, Video Kill the Saudio, Alex Sekonomu with 519. And 551, 1551 at the top. Daniel McCready, Rogers the Cabin Boy going very, very nicely out in front and there's a gap there at the top now of a fair few points so that's the top 10 now the real battle further down let's try and find oh look super frank sinclair now i know 
that I used my triple captain with Mo Salah on the double game week. And uh, Mo Salah did me a turn actually at the weekend. Up into 22nd place. Now, for those in the top 10, Cliff Frost in 10th and Pianic Prevention, Daniel Chart is in 10th as well because they're on 1,440. I'm only 42 points behind. So one of the one of the big movers really is Super Frank Sinclair. And also one of the big movers, it has to be said, is, for fuck's sake, Rob Hayes. <laughs> I was waiting. Down uh, in. Oh, my goodness 25th me. 25th place. 25th place. And not only that, Rob, I'm 14 points ahead of you now. I think this is the first point in the season that I can say I'm ahead of you. So loser, lose. Anyway, I'm 14 points ahead of you. Um... What has happened in the, for fuck's sake, fancy football team, or yours, should I say, um, is there been some uh, infighting? Was there problems around the transfer deadline day? Did some did half of your team get in the car and drive to another club and never get a move? Uh, is it down to just mismanagement? Has there been some kind of uh, shenanigans behind the scenes? What's going on at your club? I've just not scored very many points. I, I don't think I can dress it up in in any way... Other than that, I did pretty well the week before. Game week 24, I was a good nine points above average. Uh, and I did fine. You know, Jimenez scored for me. De Bruyne was my captain. Um, Ricardo obviously had an absolute stormer. Um, but I backed Wolves to turn United over and captain Jimenez. Uh, and he did nothing for me. And then... I think the only other players to pick up anything other than decent point, uh, anything other than a point or two, was clean sheets for Van Dijk and Robertson, and Deeney got an assist. I left Mason Mount on the bench because I would very. It's very rare that I put a player in my team who's playing against Leicester because that's that's kind of hinting at me backing them to do something good, and I and I don't want that kind of superstition to show itself on the pitch. That went wrong, didn't it? Backfired. Um, so I would put it down to a bad week. I've not been right since uh, since Leicester went on a bit of a bit of a tricky patch. I've had a couple of good results here and there, but overall it's just going downhill. But to be fair, when we first started this, this is what I predicted for myself. This is what I expected, uh, and I've had a good start to the season. Got a little bit dizzy with it all. Um, not change what I'm doing whatsoever. Just just kept plodding along at the same kind of tactics, and here I am in what may well be proved to be my rightful place. We shall see. Now further down the league, where's my dad? Seventy sixth out of seventy seven, and just looking at the bottom two, Kieran Curtis is at the bottom. Um, yeah, there we go. We'll have to uh, take the mick out of him next time I see him. So that's the way things are on the fancy football. Just uh, final point, Rob. Uh, went to a a uh, an evening with night. So at the local football club at Shepshire Dynamo, although it was an Ingalls FC, another uh, Shepshire team who hosted the night with uh, Steve Walsh and Matt Elliott. And so I got a ticket for me and, uh, and my dad got it for him for Christmas and uh, went along and, you know, what, 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 do you, what do you expect? I've never been to one of these things before. I think it was the first thing that they've hosted because I've I've never been invited. I know plenty of the squad, etc. And from the best of my knowledge, uh, they haven't hosted an evening like this before. And I sat down, and the room was you know fairly full. It was it was a good good crowd, and that it was brilliant. Don't get me wrong, the beer helped, but some of the stories I ain't going to tell them now. But uh, they were both 
on fire. Both had a few beers and it, it was really, really good. And a lot of the stories from the 90s, I asked a story about, you know, tell us some dirt on Jerry Taggart, which he did, which I will tell you off air. Um, and then there was uh, also... Steve Walsh, the way he spoke about Peter Taylor was unbelievable. We all know what Peter Taylor did at the club and no one likes him. But I don't think anyone can hate him any more than Steve Walsh. Some of the stuff he was saying about him was unbelievable. And he he mentioned uh, about the signings he made. And he told a story about running out onto the, the training grounds. First thing, first training session of the new season. And, and he got them into pairs and he had to pass the ball five yards to each other. And anyway, he passes the ball to his new signing who looks up and passes it back and it goes 10 yards behind Walshie and it turned out to be Adi Akinbai who, who did it. And, uh, and and he just mentioned, he said, which terrible signings, poor players. And, and he didn't like him at all. That was one of the, the big things to come out of the night. Some, some real detail as well in terms of what kind of went on regarding both of them and other players and stuff. A really thoroughly entertaining night. So whether that's going to be the start of a thing or two with them going around maybe local clubs because word like this goes round and then they'll get booked elsewhere. Because I think they said at the time it's not something that they do or have done before. So um, if you do get the chance or do look out for that sort of thing, I tell you, it's well worth uh, well worth going to watch because it was it was highly entertaining. But uh, and the, the final thing was they did mention about the ground. Okay, and. We've all seen by now that we've put out there the, the the plans that were kind of released around, I think, October or so last year. Or oh, was it the year before? I think even the year before that. It was, Whenever it was. Uh, regarding, I think it was the year before that, wasn't it? Regarding the new ground or regarding the development of Leicester. And they mentioned at the time, at this, at this due last week, that they've only just, so probably within a couple of days of them being there, heard uh, from the club regarding the, the ground. And I think the plans have changed somewhat. I think the plans have got more grander and bigger. And essentially what they were saying, and kind of read between the lines, they were roughly saying that basically all the hospitality and all the inner workings of the football club, which is based in the West End, is going to be moved over to the East End in this big new development of the East End and then obviously the all the surrounding area behind that, which we know is going to get redeveloped. But that's an interest that was something different that wasn't released before. So essentially, again, all the majority of hospitality, all the new hospitality and also the inner workings, you're talking the changing rooms, everything, being moved over to this grand new big East End. Whether that then paves the way for the West End to be then redeveloped as well who knows it, it, it could even be the plan around about 8,000 seats added on to that stand which if if you look at it overall that's not a an amazing amount of seats so this stand must be you know proper super duper in terms of what goes into it so that will take it up to 40,000 and then I'd imagine there'll be room if needed in the west end so just a, a slight update there and that was as I said that night was last week and they mentioned that they heard that in the last, say, 24 hours. So whether some news comes out before the end of the season, we don't know. But, um, yeah, just a little bit of a an update there on the ground. Interesting to hear these things, isn't it? And I know we've seen some kind of plans and talked about some kind of ideas, but I, I'm, I'm, are you like me? You just want it to be built now. I just want to see what it's going to look like. I want. I want to, I know, I, I trust that it will be done in the greatest 
sympathy to what the fans want. You know, there'll be a lot of consultation. They'll be making sure that it enhances the fans, the, the regular fans, you know, the ones that have been going for years and years and years. It will enhance their match day experience rather than catering for, you know, more corporate kind of stuff or, you know, more hospitality kind of stuff. Obviously, you want a bit more of that as well to generate some more revenue, but I'm hoping that it will cater for the, the everyday fan like you and I as well and I just want it to happen now so I can see it and, and go and experience it for myself Yeah I do as well, I'm sure it will everything they've done at the club so far has been tremendous and I think that's that's really a, a great place to finish the podcast D- disappointing against Villa, we know that but I think in this small break that we've got until the game what, a week Friday against Wolves on TV it's a, it's a good time to look and go, because when we were talking to to the two at the uh, at the evening with, um, especially my dad who used to play at Park Hill at Seagrave where the training ground is being built. He he was a founder member uh, of the golf club, so talking to Walshie about seeing him there and all this sort of thing, and you've got that coming up. We know, but again, look what we've got coming up. We've got the new training ground, fantastic. We've got a new redevelopment of of the ground, fantastic. We've got. The possibility, because again, no signings in that transfer window, of using, you would put as a complete loose figure anything from what 100, 150 million pound to spend, absolutely out of this world. And also, on the back of that, hopefully, Champions League qualification. So the disappointment for me is slowly evaporating. If in fact it's gone, it's gone because of the where we are and what we've got, hopefully on the horizon so uh, what a great way to finish anyway that's that um if you want to get in contact with the podcast at uh ffs pod on twitter you can find us on facebook just type in for fox 8 podcast and give us a like on there or give us a follow whatever it is on facebook i can't remember now and you can find us on many platforms however you're listening to this soundcloud spotify apple itunes or apple Podcasts, as it's now known uh hopefully you can find us and if not then uh, how will you listen to this? If you're listening to it on someone else's car or in someone else's house, make sure you subscribe. It's completely free and it means you get the podcast whenever it drops, as the kids say. Anyway, happy fifth birthday, Rob. Happy birthday. <laughs>